Joy it is for them to lead us to a place to think about that day when there will be no more night and we will live in the light of the risen Lamb of God. We continue in our series today, It Matters What You Believe. And by way of review, we have dealt with some core convictional doctrines that all of us need to contemplate, that all of us need to consider. And I want us to go back through just those first few that we have looked at together. We talked about the authority of the Bible, the authority of God's Word. And if you remember, as we talked through the beginning stages of this series, we simply said that it is fundamentally critical for you and I to get these core matters right. You see, it's the the truth of these core matters that separates Christianity from falsehood, from all other religions. And as we search for truth and we understand that there is objective truth, truth that is true whether you believe it or not, whether you respond to it or not, it is true. And we started with the authority of the Bible and we simply said together this statement of affirmation. I believe that the Bible is God's word and it has the right to command my belief and action. And then we move forward together and we talk about the God that is revealed to us in the Bible. And we said these words, I believe that the God of the Bible is the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you remember, we talked about the Trinity and the nature of God and the fullness of the Godhead and how our triune God is involved in every dynamic of salvation as the Father sends the Son, the Son is sacrificed on our behalf, and the Holy Spirit draws us to that salvation. Well, I want us to move forward in our thinking as we did last week in thinking about that salvation. We said these words together. I believe that a person comes into a right relationship with God by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And we were adamant in exclaiming and, and proclaiming together that it's only by grace through faith in Christ that we are saved. In fact, we could say it this way as the reformers did centuries ago. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it's so vitally important for us to understand that we can't earn or inherit our salvation, but only through Jesus Christ. And so it brings us to another point of uh, of thought. And that thought is this. It's a, a fundamental question. It's a universal question. Is God knowable? Can I know God personally? I would venture guess that each and every person in this room at some level has asked that question in the the quietness of your heart, deep down in that place where you have dialogue going on, maybe a place that nobody else knows about in your heart, and, and you've asked that question, is God knowable? And this is a foundational thought for us, a foundational doctrine. And part of the reason that it is is because so many other expressions of of faith in other uh, faith systems paints a picture of an impersonal deity, much like a force or an energy. And there's no sense of knowing God in relationship. In fact, God is capricious oftentimes and and changes his mind. And in that changing and shifting in those systems, there's just this desperate, constant attempt to appease that God. 
If we stand firm on our conviction that we stated that the God of the Bible is the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit, then all that we know about Him and all that's been revealed about Him to us leads us clearly to an understanding that God is knowable. That personally we can have a relationship with Him. And I don't know about you, but that brings not only comfort, but great joy to my heart to know that the God of the universe who created all would be interested in the affairs and the heart and the lives of men and women, boys and girls. Oh, this question is one that we've asked and answered in our family, uh, even by uh, attrition, by simply being in the car. You say, what do you mean by that? I can remember very, very clearly as a young boy, uh, my father popping in a Billy uh, Graham, or or, excuse me, George Beverly Shea, who sang for Billy Graham often, uh, an eight-track Tape. Now, many of you have no idea what I'm talking about when I mention an eight track, but I can remember popping in an eight track and singing with this booming voice. It was something uh, in that car that made my father believe that he was George Beverly Shea, in fact. And he would sing along with George Beverly Shea, and the song that he sang is How Big Is God? And in singing How Big Is God, the, the song would reverberate and say, He is big enough to create the vast universe. And then with a pause that said, yet small enough to live within my heart. The God of the universe has a great desire for you and I to know him personally, but I want us to see today why. I want to answer the question very simply in the affirmative, yes, you can know God personally. But as we look together in John chapter 17, I believe we'll see the motivation for that, the reasoning behind it, and we will see that the personal nature of our God is linked to the glory of God. And as we look at the glory of God and contemplate the glory of God, you'll understand why it is that God wants you to know him. He wants you to know him because to know him is to honor him. The more that we find out about him leads us, moves us, guides us, compels us to bring him honor and glory and praise because of his character. And so today, as we look together at the high priestly prayer of Jesus, we will see this great and knowable God. Let's pray together, and then we'll look together in our text. Father, we are grateful to you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for a a time that we can gather as the people of God and, and study your word and look together at your character, your nature. Thank you, Lord, that you have... Uh, reached into our world, that you are not just a God who is far away and removed, but you are intimately involved, you are transcendent, and we are thankful, Lord, that you uh, have revealed yourself as such. Lord, today, beyond just a study of doctrine, I pray that someone here today would hear these truths and they would resonate in their hearts and that they would long to know you, and they would come to know you, expressing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, speak to us even now through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. In John chapter 17, we see Jesus praying a prayer just before the cross. And as we think about that prayer, it leads us to a place of understanding the personal nature of our God. Starting in verse 1 of John chapter 17, I invite you, if you would, to stand with me in honor of the reading of the word of God. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, 
he may give eternal life. And look at verse three with me very closely. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you had given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me, uh, whom you gave me out of the world. Uh, they were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me. For they are yours and all things that are mine are yours and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. Let's pray together one more time. Father, give us understanding. Add to the reading of your word, illumination by your Holy Spirit. Help us to see you as the knowable God. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As I ask that question, is God personal? Is God knowable? What does it even mean to be personal? We use that word in so many ways in our lives. If you think about it, if you went to a friend and asked a friend for money, perhaps you needed a little bit to, to tide you over until uh, some uh, future uh, reimbursement would come. You needed him to oblige you in some way to help you until a promised paycheck was to come. You would interact in that as he gave you the money and you would call it a personal loan. Or perhaps you invest in someone that would come into your life and would give you direction and guidance in terms of nutrition and exercise. You might call that person a personal trainer. And in the, the world around us, we talk about things that are personal. But what makes something personal? Well, obviously, it's the re relational dynamic. There's interaction. There's an opportunity to know and be known, to express opinions and receive opinions. And when we think about the personal nature of a relationship with God, it follows suit with that definition. When I'm asking you, can you know God? I'm simply saying, is it possible for you to have a real relationship with the Lord, to exchange ideas, to exchange uh, in, in uh, personal contact and connection uh, relationally? And the answer, as we've said, is obviously yes. And Jesus here, prior to the cross, is praying that we would know Him. In fact, if you look at verse 3, this ought to just be an amazing thing for us as we look at that statement. It says, this is eternal life. If I were to ask you, what is eternal life? What would you say? I mean, think about it in your mind and in your heart, just off the cuff. If I were just to ask you, if someone said to you, what is eternal life? You might perhaps say, well, it's life unending. It's life eternal. And you might use some synonym for the word eternal. But Jesus says here in John 17, that eternal life is knowing God. 
Eternal life is not just having a knowledge about God. We understand that the biblical language here uh, for knowing God is deep and intimate. It's not just knowing facts about God. It's not just having some peripheral knowledge, but it's actually a word that's used of a husband and a wife. There's an intimate knowledge of God that you can know Him and be connected to Him and, and have a dynamic relationship, an interdependent relationship here with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we think about that being eternal life and not just facts about Him, it, it ought to cause us to pause for a moment. The fact that we can know Him increasingly that we can know Him deeply, that we can know Him uniquely, that we can know Him personally. You can know God personally. Let me say that again. The, the title of this very message is that question, but let me say that statement. Everyone look this way. I, I spoke to our students this morning and I asked them for every eyeball. So let me see every eyeball this morning, as much as is possible. I probably need my glasses for a few in the back, but other than that, we'll be okay. You can know God personally. We have become so accustomed to spiritual things that that statement is in some ways underwhelming. That statement ought to rivet us. That, that statement ought to cause us such pause, such reflection, such amazement that you can know God personally. Uh, we ought to find ourselves in stunned, speechless silence. And yet I'm afraid that the world around us has ignored the prospect of knowing God personally because the people of God have been underwhelmed and have yawned at the very thought that we can know Him personally. You see, for us today, we, we should find ourselves like many of Scripture who encountered this prospect Isaiah found himself in the very presence of God. And as he did, he was undone. He found himself overwhelmed, not underwhelmed, not bored at the prospect, but overwhelmed at the presence of majesty. And he said, woe is me, I am undone. John the Baptist, just before he would proclaim, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, would describe himself uh, uh, in, in relation to Jesus and say, I am unworthy to untie his sandals. The Apostle John would find himself in the very presence of Christ in a heavenly scene in the book of Revelation, and it says that he fell down as though dead. Church, today, why don't we together just agree we will ponder for a time. We will stop ourselves and just ponder this thought that we can know God personally. I don't know about you, but that just shakes me. It ought to move us. We ought to react and respond to that. And yet I find myself at times so underwhelmed by that powerful statement, we can know God. A, a pastor that I have grown to respect, his name is David Daniels. He pastors in the Fort Worth area, made a great observation about this idea of our underwhelmed nature of God. And he said these words, the God that you know is perhaps not the God that you would choose to know if you didn't know anything about God. Think about that. We have misshapen and distorted views of God. And when you and I get a glimpse of the majesty and the power of God, it changes everything. I don't know how you see God this morning. Maybe you came in here this morning and you see God as a wise old sage. 
He's just dispensing information. He's just dispensing wisdom. Maybe you see him as an aged clockmaker and he wound up the clock of time and removes himself from all of the affairs of human activity and is just waiting for the clock to count down. Perhaps you see God today as some uh, dictator like Kim Jong-un. You see him as one who would demand that people love him. And the people around him act like they love him. Whether they do or not, it's not the case or even the point of matter. It doesn't matter as long as they stay in line. Maybe you see God as some crazed dictator. Or maybe you see God as some cosmic killjoy who is waiting to just whack somebody on the head when they do wrong. It's like that game that kids play of whack-a-mole where one pops up and he'll get that one and then that one. And God somehow is just waiting to zap people with bolts of lightning. Maybe today you see God like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, pulling the levers and the strings. And, and as he's doing all of those things, he is far removed from the affairs of people. But with this booming voice, he speaks over us and there's fear and mystery. I don't know how you see God today. But I believe David Daniels got it right when he said that the God that we often know is not the God that we would choose to know if we didn't know anything about God. You see, as I look at Jesus' words and we begin to unpeel this thought of this being eternal life, it's all about the glory of God. So I want us to see three very simple things in this text together. And as we look at these, and I'll, I'll give them to you and then we'll get to them along the way in your notes in a moment. But it's the glory of God, the gift of God, and the grand design of God. Let's look together if we can. As Jesus, back in verse 1, Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that he, the Son, may glorify you. So number one, in your notes and in your thinking, consider the glory of God. Consider the glory of God. This word glory is kind of interesting it's used six times in this passage. It's repeated. Even the verb form to glorify is used. And this is Jesus' prayer. He, he, he's wanting us to see the glory of God. He says, Lord, glorify yourself. Glorify the Son that I may glorify you. Listen to me, church. The word glory here is a word that means literally in the, the uh, biblical language heavy or weighty. It means that God is not just some casual man upstairs. He is God, the Almighty One, the Sovereign God. And His glory is the sum total of His attributes. As you contemplate Him, the weightiness of this majestic God builds and builds. And Jesus is saying, glorify your Son so that I may glorify you. Now, how does this tie into the, the knowability of God, if you will, the personal nature of a relationship? We'll see it in just a moment, but think about this. The glory of God is wrapped up in the sum total of His characteristics, His attributes. He is unmatched in His power. He is perfect in His wisdom. He is flawless in His purity. He is radiant in His beauty. He is unwavering in His justice. He is complete in His knowledge. He is eternal in His nature. That is a weighty thing, would you agree? That is a glorious thing, would you agree? And this morning what I'm 
hoping that you will do and trying to hold up before you is just a glimpse of this great God so that you might glorify Him, so that you might see His glory. And Jesus was saying, in what I am about to accomplish through the cross, through the resurrection, I'm desiring, Father, that you would glorify me so that I might reflect your glory, so that I might bring you honor. You see, the glory of God has really been throughout all of Scripture. In fact, the Bible, you could say, is the story of the glory of God. All throughout Scripture, everything that God has done and revealed to us through His Word is showing and demonstrating that He is great. It ought to, again, cause us to just say, my God, how great Thou art. When we think about what He's done, God created everything, sun, moon, stars, oceans and mountains, people, animals. And as He created all of those, He created those to be a reflection of His glory. Everything He's done, He's communicating His greatness. It's like as He created those things, He said, those things are about me. Look to them and see. Have you ever been there? Surely you have. Even if someone has never read Scripture, they've never seen the special revelation of God, the Word of God, they stand on a, in a starlit night and they look out and they say, wow. They find themselves overwhelmed with the immensity of the creation of God. And the Bible tells us that's all pointing to Him. The, the handiwork of God, the creation of God sings His praises. And yet often as people do not, I stand before you this morning and say, you can know God personally, and many of you are thinking about lunch or a football game or the rain. And the reality is we find ourselves, because of the world, the flesh, and the devil, pulled away from the glory of God. And maybe, just maybe, it's time for you to slow down your life today, to put down the phone or the Facebook, and just reflect on the greatness of our God. To just stop and ponder His greatness because all of creation is crying out, I am great. Look at the things that I've made. Look at the handiwork. Look at the firmament. And as you see all of those things, they point to me. But it didn't stop there. When God picked Abram and He called out to him and He told him to pick himself up and to go to a land that He would show him and that He would promise him and that He would bless all nations through His descendants. He did that not because He looked at the Hebrew people and said, wow, these are great people. These are unique people. These are special people. No, He said, I'm a special God and if they reflect my character, my nature, my glory, then the nations will be blessed. And ultimately through that line, Jesus would come and Jesus would bless all and He would be the ultimate display of the glory of God. In fact, the Father's glory is the mission of Jesus. Jesus' desire was to glorify the Father. He said here, Lord, even in this time, glorify Your Son so that I may glorify You. Not only did He cho uh, choose Abraham for His glory, think about this. He delivered the people uh, of the, the Hebrew nation, the Israelites, uh, he delivered them and to bring them back to the place of promise. Why? Help me out. For His... Let's try that again. God created all things in, in a magnificent display and He did that for His glory. He chose Abram to be a man who would be the father of many nations and would bless all nations. Why? For? And He delivered the people from the hand of a Pharaoh who would oppress them and He did that. Why? 
And he not only delivered them from the people, he also rescued them from the pressing charge of the armies of Pharaoh as they came upon the Red Sea and he parted the sea and they walked on dry ground and Pharaoh's army pursued and in their pursuit in the middle of that, he swallowed them up and he did all of that. Why? For his glory. And we continue on. Jesus Christ would leave heaven and come to earth. And when he did, what's the song that was sung? All of the hosts of heaven, it seems, to appear in the sky. They all join this angelic choir. And they sang, glory to God in the highest. Everything that our great God has done is to bring recognition to his glory. The sum total of his character. And it goes on from there. Not just at Jesus' arrival, but in Jesus' crucifixion. In Jesus hanging on the cross, we see the glory of God represented. It was the mission of Jesus to bring glory and honor to the Father, to show His great power, His great mercy, His holiness, and all of those attributes. Church, today, pause, reflect, ponder on the glory of our great God. Amen? You see, if you've come to this place and you said, God is in a galaxy far, far away. I pray and my prayers go no higher than the ceiling. I don't know that I can know this God. I want you to know today that this is eternal life, that you may know God. God's desire is that you know Him personally, intimately, and relate to Him. And as you trust Him, you'll learn more about Him. And as you learn more about Him, you'll love and glorify Him all the more. Isn't that beautiful? Our lives are a continual, deepening expression of the glory of God in Christ. Jesus prayed, glorify the Son so that I may glorify you. Even when the people turned their backs and rebelled upon God, He remained constant. They were taken into captivity and yet He would raise up prophets that would reflect His glory. As we see Jesus here toward the end of His life praying this prayer, He desired that His life's work, His death and His resurrection would display the glory of God. The Father's glory is the mission of Jesus. Think about that in very practical terms. Jesus knew that He was going to the cross. He knew that He would be crucified. And as He prays this prayer, Father, as I go to the cross, may my death give people a clear sense of Your splendor and Your beauty. How would that happen? When they see me, Lord, on uh, the, the, when they see that you sent me, they'll see that you're a generous God and that will bring you glory because that's who you are. When they understand that you had promised long ago a Messiah and I am here, they will recognize that you are a faithful God. When they see me on the cross, they will recognize that the wrath of God was not just set aside, that you are truly just that your justice must be met. And through the penalty of uh, sin placed upon Jesus Christ and His death on the cross, we even today, He was praying this prayer with the, the thought of Hardy Street Baptist Church in 2015 on His mind. Father, this morning as they contemplate the cross, may they look back and recognize that You set aside no part of Your justice, no part of Your wrath, but it was fully satisfied in the death of Jesus. And when they see that, may they bring You glory. Today, Jesus' prayer rings out through this place. When they see that I rise from the dead, Father, let them know that you are a powerful God, capable of overcoming death, hell, and the grave. Folks, I don't know if you know this today, but our God is a powerful God. Would you agree with that? 
You guys, we've been here just a a little while now. Today actually is my one-month anniversary. Do you realize that? Somebody told me this morning that means that the 30-day money-back guarantee is over and you're stuck with me. But I will just say this as a word of encouragement. You guys are talking back to me a little more and I like that. This is an interactive process. Our God's worthy of us reflecting His glory. I'll never forget hearing the story of S.M. Lockridge. Perhaps you've heard him preach. Shadrach Meshach Lockridge was his name. And Dr. Lockridge was preaching and members of his church were calling out to him and they were back and forth and he was preaching and one of his deacons sitting on the front row said, give him glory, pastor, give him glory. And he stopped himself from preaching and he turned to his deacon lovingly and he said, I ain't got nothing to give. He said, God doesn't need me to give him anything and I am not glorious in myself. He said, what I want to do is hold up a mirror and just reflect his glory. I want to take what he has given to me and just reflect it to the world. And you and I ought to be reflections of the glory of God in this world. And that happens when we recognize that Jesus' prayer here reflects the knowability of God. He said, this is eternal life. Eternal life is not just in length of time, it's in depth of quality. I have an eternal, an eternality to my life. What does that mean? That means that regardless of what comes from the outside, there is an unbelievable source that is never ending, that is flowing up. Springs of artesian living water that never end, flowing out of my life. I'm connected to the source of life. Knowing God is eternal life. Not knowing about Him, knowing Him. So my question for you today is, do you know God? Do you know the Lord? When you and I look at life, excuse me, the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, it ought to cause us to ponder this fact that Jesus' ultimate mission and desire was to glorify God the Father so that we may know Him. Our God is gracious and powerful and loving and holy. And we see that most on display in the second point, and that is this. Consider the gift of God. Consider the gift of God. Look at verse 7 with me for a moment, if you will. As we look back to our text, in verse 7, Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me I have given to them, and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you, and they believed that you sent me. You see, Jesus Christ didn't act on His own. He acted upon the will of the Father coming to this earth as a sent one, as the Messiah for our salvation. He is the gift of God. The Father's heart is revealed in the coming of Jesus Christ. You see, it wasn't plan B or or C or D. It wasn't that Jesus had to come because God's original plan for His relationship with man had been distorted. No, it says that He was slain from the foundation of the world. God understood clearly in this environment that He created that we could choose to sin and we have chosen to sin. We have rebelled against Him and that rebellion separates us from the source of life. And in that separation we find ourselves wandering aimlessly, hopelessly in darkness. But Jesus came into the world as the Word of God, the light of the world for all of us to see the glory of God the Father. It is that God reached into our world. Don't ever lose sight of that. Jesus reveals the heart of God. As we think about Jesus being uh, the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Alpha and the Omega is our God, unchanging and unchangeable. 
He reflects the heartbeat of God even in His incarnation here on earth. You see, the gift and the glory go together. The glory of God is the sum total of His attributes. The gift of God, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, came to reveal to us the heart of that God. And as we see the heart of God in Jesus, we see the heart of God revealed through Him. His glory is evident in this gift. What a beautiful picture. And ultimately, it leads us to the final thought. And this all just ties together. His glory is most evident in His gift. And that is the very heart of the grand design of God. Let's look at the third one. Consider the grand design of God. The Father's purpose is fulfilled in the gospel. You see... God created everything. It displays His glory. Everything that He has done is a reflection of His greatness. Sin caused a separation from that life. Jesus came, and Jesus coming as part of the grand overarching design of God for all things is that He will redeem all things, and everything will give Him glory. There will come a day that everything that is not a part of His kingdom will be cast into outer darkness, and His kingdom will be established. All the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our God and His Christ. And as that happens on that day, everyone will ascribe glory honor to him so you can choose to today you can say Lord I desire because of your goodness and your greatness and your grace to trust you and to live for you or you can wait until that day and the Bible says very clearly every knee will bow every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord that will be stamped across the universe every square inch of the the universe is his claimed by him redeemed by him he owns it he purchased the church with his very blood and he will say on that day and he or it will be said of him he is Lord hallelujah to the glory of God the Father Jesus said the hour has come glorify me that I may glorify you that was the design from the beginning As we look at this together, I'll draw it to a close this way. As we go back to verse 3 and contemplate those words, this is eternal life. He wants you to know Him. He doesn't want to give you just a free ticket to heaven. He wants for you to do more in this life than just to avoid hell, but to know Him. To experience His grace and forgiveness. To hear His voice to feel His love, to know His protection, to benefit from His provision. In a book entitled The Divine Embrace by a man named Robert Weber, he said these words, we do not have to live in a monastery to experience God's embrace. The spiritual life is not an escape from life, but an affirmation of God's way of life in the struggles we meet in our personal thoughts, in the relationships we have in the family, among our neighbors, at work, And in our leisure, the Christian life is an embodied life. It affirms that all of life belongs to God and that God is everywhere in life. You see, some of you, I'm afraid, if you were honest, have segregated your spiritual life from every other dynamic of life. God wants you to know Him. And that means that He's not interested in your spiritual life. He's interested in you. And there should be great joy in that. He sent the Son so that, and glorified the Son, so that the Son would bring glory to the Father and you would see that display of His glory and you would long to walk with Him.
It's interesting. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not His dictatorial hand of iron fist rule. It's His kindness. I guess the hymn writer summed it up best. When it was said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. You see, the glory of God displayed through the cross of Christ and the empty tomb, the resurrection, lead us to a place where we can understand what Jesus prayed about. This is eternal life, that we may know the one true living God and Jesus Christ, the Son. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let's just draw in close for a moment. As your pastor, I, I want to ask you a question that I, I, I'm bound to ask, but I'm compelled to ask. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ today? Do you have a personal relationship with Him? He has pursued you. He pursued you through all of creation so that you would see that He exists. He pursued you through His Son, who came and died in your place so that you wouldn't have to face separation from the source of life. And today you can be saved by placing your personal faith in that God. You can know God personally. He is intimately interested in the desires of your heart and the activities of your life. Today, trust Him. I pray that you would in just a moment we're going to have an invitation. And that invitation is a time for you to respond. I'll be here at the front and other staff members will be as well. And I'm asking you to stand up from where you are and walk down the aisle and take one of them or, or me by the hand and we will tell you from God's word, just very simply show you how you can be saved. Trust the Lord today. If that's the need of your life, I ask the question, can I know God personally? The answer is absolutely yes. Yes, today you can know God personally through Jesus Christ. Perhaps the need of your life is to unite your life with this church family. You want to come and be a part of this church, a member that can be counted on, that's a part of the faith family that serves and grows here and loves here. We would be honored to receive you into this fellowship. Let God have His way in this time. Father, I pray even right now, that you would bless this invitation time, that people would be earnest and honest and they would trust you if that's the need of their life, that they would unite with this church if that's the need of their life, that they would repent of sin if that's the need of their life today. But God, be glorified through this invitation. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.